Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, the <laughs> podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And with us today is friend of the podcast. Returning guest. Returning guest. The one, the only, Katie Warden. Hi, guys. Katie, welcome back. Thank you. You haven't been on the podcast since you ruined our, our lives with The Fast and the Furious. Yes. You've got to be one of our most condensed episodes, doing... Six movies? Eight. Seven. Seven. Yeah, it was Seven. before the eighth one it came out. It was before we found out what the fate of the Furious was. Yeah. Yes. But then we went and shared that experience together, it so good. it was good. Yeah. It was a beautiful moment of friendship. Yeah. Speaking of which, Harry Potter. We're here to talk about <laughs> the fourth book in the Harry Potter septology. That's correct, yeah. Is that right? That's the correct terminology. Okay. It's Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Woohoo. Woo-hoo. But first, Katie, why don't you tell us? What your experience has been in the Harry Potter fandom, how you came to it, when you came to it, why you still like it, etc. Sure. So I believe my mother bought me all the first three when the third one came out. Um, Because I'm a little bit, I was a little bit too young when the first one came out, I think she thought, to read. Um, Uh, just in general or just in in general to read no uh, to read those books um so she bought me the first three and i remember reading them and then i remember very vividly waiting for the fourth one to come out so this was like the first one i waited like we pre-ordered it it was a very big deal i forced my parents to pre-order books for me because i was only however 12? 12 no <laughs> like 14 no the when did this book come out fourth one came out before the movie came out i'm pretty sure i want to say it was like 2002 it was 2000 when the fourth one came out yeah so 11 yes oh <laughs> 11 going on 12 which would make sense as to why she didn't want me to read them before <laughs> that um so anyway so then uh, quickly devoured all of the books as they came out um and all of the movies my dad really liked the movies too so he would take us to them so that was really cool like a family thing um Hmm. i do really remember i went and sat in barnes and noble for the seventh book and we were four of us and three of us had pre-ordered said book and only one person bought it at barnes and noble and then we went home and we read it aloud uh for the first couple of chapters, which, as you know, is not one of my favorite things to do. But <laughs> for Harry Potter, I'm willing to do a lot of things. So. How did you split it up? Was it like round robin style, like every chapter someone trades off? Yes, that's what we did. We pretty much oh. read okay. a chapter, wow. which this book came out at midnight, and then we got home at like two, and then read for like two hours, and then went to sleep. And then I went home and finished it on my own, <laughs> <laughs> which was a much more efficient way to read Harry Potter. Yeah. But I guess, like, I don't know. I've always loved this franchise. I have found friends through this franchise, i.e. Kelsey. I mean, yeah, this is why we're friends. Really? So when we started at Sotheby's for grad school, um, our friend Vanessa had actually a, like, Vito. Yes. (laughs) Vito had a (laughs) laptop case that was Harry Potter themed um and then she and i were talking about that and then kelsey was like hi are you talking about harry potter because i also like harry potter and then we all became friends (laughs) friendship (laughs) yes yeah so um i found people through this it's been i don't know i've i read i reread it 
every year for a couple of years, always skipping five because it's not my fave. Um, it's also trivia, super duper long. <laughs> And so much angst <laughs> lives in that book. Um, I don't know. It was always, uh, the books are always like kind of a source of comfort and they're easy to return to and characters I love. So it's. Did you have any like fandom experience? Were you like in the internet or were you in fan fiction or, or did you like go to cons or anything? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't fully immersed in that level of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, once I got a Tumblr, that kind of happened. Yeah. But that wasn't until almost like the seventh movie was coming out. Right. So um, there was that. But we didn't do all of that. Like We did like the midnight releases and stuff like that, but nothing like the cons and stuff. And then we did do Harry Potter World once it came to Orlando. Yes. We went which there was great. Yes. So I did do that and that kind of stuff. But no, I didn't get to do any of the fun cons and stuff. All my friends were like closeted nerds who didn't want to. Who didn't want to like be, be out, that. out and nerdy. Be out. At, mm. Yeah, no. Didn't find those people till I, I like went it, to, came to New York, basically. It, I feel like it takes a lot of people like a long time to come to terms with nerdiness. Yeah. I feel like I wasn't really like. Like, I was nerdy, but not, like, as far out nerdy as I am yeah. now or even was in college. Like, in high school, well, I think like, I, you try to hide things. I think I care a lot cool. less about what people think about it. Yeah. So, it's like, I mean, you I gotta be cool, you know? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Go out there like some sort of loser? Mm. <laughs> and like stuff openly? I think not. Not on this podcast, for <laughs> certain. For sure. Right. Okay, final question before we really delve into the plot. Okay. What is your Hogwarts house? I'm a Hufflepuff. Nice. Good, good, good call. Good yeah. call, Katie. <laughs> I just want to get an idea of yeah. all of our guests. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's good. In the same house as yeah. Hagrid and Cedric Diggory and all sorts of good people. Good, Cedric. loyal, sad, friendly people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if, if, if Cedric and Hagrid are like paragons of the ideal Hogwarts experience. Cedric kind of. He died. Okay. Tonks is a Hufflepuff. Tonks is a good one. We don't meet her, though, till much later yeah. in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but he... I think Cedric would... If he hadn't been <laughs> killed, like, well, that's, a, that's not I his mean, that's fault. A, that's a pretty and that's big if. Not, that has nothing to do with what house Although, he was it in. It makes you wonder, what if he hadn't been killed? What if someone could go back in time... <laughs> And prevent We're not going into that. Mm. Seems like an interesting possibility to explore, perhaps in a different medium. Maybe if you had read the third book, you'd realize time turning is a dangerous, dangerous game. And does not Apparently, always Apparently, the end people well. who wrote Curse of Child did not read the third book. J.K. Rowling? <laughs> did she re- write it? Isn't it another guy with like her blessing? No, she's like she was like involved in the development of the story. <laughs> Apparently not that she detail. She a story by credit. That's not good, JK. <laughs> it's anyway, a, it's bad. That's story. a whole nother podcast it's we could have about thing. that whole thing. Yeah. But anyway. anyway. Anyway, okay. So it's the dark time. We're gonna try this time around. We're gonna try to just sort of go through a plot summary, and then we're gonna, you know, if anything comes up and we're interested in discussing it, we're gonna put a pin in it and discuss and, it. And we'll come back later. So, Jason. Jason. Smash cut. It's fifty years in the past. <laughs> we're in the the town of. Little Hackleton? Hangleton? Hangleton? Oh, this is a this is an inauspicious beginning. No, it doesn't matter. We're in a small Little village. Hangleton. <laughs> anyway, we learned that in Little Hangleton 50 years ago, 
the Riddle family was mysteriously killed, and their groundsman, Frank Price, uh, a, a noble giant of a man, was suspected of the crime. Uh, the people in Little Hangleton are terrible, petty, awful people. Again, foreshadowing J.K. Rowling's eventual transition into writing books about small-minded, small-town people. Shout out Casual Vacancy. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, in the present day, he hears a noise coming from the Riddle house. Frank Price. Frank Price. Frank Price. Frank Price. Uh, he goes to investigate. Uh-oh. It's Voldemort and Wormtail up there plotting. He can't really see Voldemort, uh, but the snake's there too. Nagini. We, we all We know it's Voldemort. Mm. And they're talking about their plan to kill Harry Potter. And they spot Frank Bryce, and Nagini kills him. Uh-oh. Or does Voldemort kill him? Voldemort kills him. Okay, Doesn't this... Voldemort actually, stick Nagini on him? Actually, but he kills him with Avada Kedavra, so... Nagini it's... spots him, though. Nagini, Nagini gives him sees him, because she comes up the stairs and whispers to Voldemort, and is like, hmm, there's a dude out here. Oh, yes. And then, I don't know if it's him or if it's Wormtail. It's Wormtail. Kills him. Well, Frank, Frank, let's not Frank get too, Bryce let's dies. Not get too Frank bogged dead. down in Frank Bryce's Harry fate. wakes up in Sussex. And his, scar, and his scar is hurting, which will become a recurring theme for, for many, many years to come. But his scar is hurting. He writes to Sirius Black, his godfather, who he's in touch with. The Weasleys show up. They're bringing Harry to the World Quidditch Cup. The Quidditch World Cup, rather. Uh, they have a little altercation with the, with the Dursleys. They still suck. No new information here. Honestly, the Dursleys don't do a whole lot in this book. Uh, the the fat shaming has gotten a little out of hand. Yes, this is the book. Oh, yeah, thank you, Kelsey. This is this is well. Okay, well, let's put a pin in that. Yeah. Let's put a pin in that. Uh, no, the one notable thing that happens is that, that, that um, Dudley eats one of the uh, Fred and George have some some prank candies. Dudley eats one. His tongue gets all big. It's not very funny, but it happens. They all go to the Quidditch World Cup. Harry, all the Weasleys, even Bill and Charlie. Um, and Hermione. Hermione's there, too. They go to the Quidditch World Cup. It's a big old Quidditch match. They head out, they hang out with Cedric Diggory and his dad. Ludo Bagman shows up, who is the... He's, he's the commissioner, right? Is he's that the head of the role? Department of Magical Games and Sports. Okay, so he's sort of in, in the ministry. He's a ministry yeah. employee. <laughs> yeah, he's like... Yeah, he's he's in the government. Uh, we meet we meet Barty Crouch, who is Percy Weasley's boss. Percy is... The Department of International Magical Cooperation. Percy is in love with Barty Crouch. It's true. Uh, Major man boner for him. Major boner for him. Uh, the Quidditch World Cup happens. It's as boring as Quidditch always is, only now we don't know anyone involved, so it's even more boring. <laughs> anyway, the, the World Cup happens. Who, who wins? Ireland wins. Ireland wins, but Crumb gets the snitch. Yeah. The night after the game, a crowd of Death Eaters... Who also are, Crumb's there. Victor Crumb, who is... Guy. A guy. Uh, he's <laughs> the best seeker in the world. Yeah, which will feel weird later on, honestly. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, he is Fair. the best seeker in the world, and we're going to see him again. There's a lot of, there's a lot of gaps in this plot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, night, anyway, the night after the game, a bunch of Death Eaters who were Voldemort's uh, you know, old followers who escaped punishment when Voldemort got you know knocked out, uh, they, they, they torture a bunch of muggles by lifting them up in the air and then running around the campsite. Uh, Harry, Hermione, and Ron flee the, the, the chaos by running to the woods. Moments later, someone fires the dark mark into the air, <laughs> which is a skull with a snake going in out of the eyes. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's spooky. Uh, it, it turns out Harry's wand goes missing, too, and it turns out that Harry's wand uh, has been has 
It turns up with the Harry's wand. It turns up in the hands of Winky, the house elf, who is Barty Crouch's house elf, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and there's a whole thing there where they think Harry took the did the mark, which and everyone else is like, "Are you crazy? Why would Harry Potter make the dark mark? That's a stupid idea." Also, Harry's like, "What the heck is that thing? I don't even know." Yeah. Theme a lot, of, a lot his of life. Ba- a lot of back and forth there. <laughs> uh, Barty Crouch kind of acts a fool. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We're over 200 pages into this book. That's true. I've just saved you 200 pages <laughs> of Quidditch and Quidditch-related activities. Anyway, so Amos Diggory basically lets everyone know that there's a guy named Mad-Eye Moody who was attacked by an intruder at his house. Or he attacked an intruder. He was a big dust-up at his house, whatever. Uh, Mad-Eye Moody is sort of known to be sort of paranoid. He's an ex-Auror. And he's... Wizard he, cops. He's a wizard cop. He's an ex-wizard cop. He's very paranoid. But he's going to be the dark new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Uh, anyway, we find out that Mad-Eye Moody exists. Yeah. The Weasleys, Harry and Hermione, train to Hogwarts. There's a new Sorting Hat song. There's a new, incredibly boring Sorting Hat song. Yeah. Uh, Mad-Eye Moody makes his grand entrance into the, into the, the school. He's immediately lovable because he turns uh, Malfoy into a ferret. It's true. Which is great because every other character in the book, when they like, when uh, Malfoy baits Harry into fighting him, they're always like, Potter, how could you do that? And it's mm-hmm. like, he, he called my dead mom a whore. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> like, stuff like that. Like, come on. And, and, and Mad-Eye Moody just generally throughout the book is very sort of supportive and encouraging to Harry. And we sort of immediately like him because he's such a, seems like such a, a nice dude. Nice, but in a way that's not like... Not like Gilder or Lockhart, who just like wants to be around Harry nice. Like, nice, and like he actually seems like he supports Harry yeah, and he wants him to learn things nice. And, and it's cool because, mm-hmm. I mean, it seems cool anyway, we'll get to that. But it's cool because um, Mad Eye Moody is the first character where their physical appearance does not match their inner self. Like, up until this point, anyone who's like abnormal or like has a weird, or is like, like not even weird, but like, you know, isn't outside the realm of just standard defined beauty in these books is like an evil bad person and this is the, not Hagrid yeah that's just what I was thinking well, Hagrid's not described as ugly he's just really tall but he's not average wizard mm-hmm. no but I, 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 I don't but usually when she describes someone as ugly they're like bad anyway in class Moody teaches the Gryffindor students the, the three unforgivable curses or he teaches them about them does he, doesn't, does he teach them to them he teaches them about them, and he shows them what they are on spiders. Which are the Imperious Curse, yes. which is the controlling curse, right? Yes. The Cruciatus yes. Curse, which is the pain curse, right? The yes. torture curse. Yeah. Yeah, and the Avada Kedavra. Which is the killing Which is the, the killing, killing curse. And, and then he... Or otherwise known as the green curse. <laughs> it's green. <laughs> he torments poor Neville. Oh, Neville. Neville. This is sort of our... We don't really learn Neville's whole deal right here, but this is our sort of first hint as to what happened to Neville's parents, right? Yes. Um, meanwhile, in what we will surely take up the most of this episode's discussion time, Hermione founds Spew, which is about the Society for Protection <laughs> of Elfish elves. Welfare. And basically, Hermione is, throughout the whole book, on a tear against the entire system of the house elves in the world. So we've met Dobby at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winky, Winky, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is the first other house elf we've met. Mm-hmm. And throughout this book, we sort of get a sense of like how the house elves are organized throughout the world. And this jumps ahead a little bit, but the house elves are essentially slaves. And we know that from Dobby. But they're, they're like, happy about it. But we... Mm, mm. <laughs> Uh, we find in this book they cook all the food at Hogwarts, yeah. which is a detailed, well, okay, put a pin in it. Basically, the house elves are, in Hermione's view, uh, oppressed and brainwashed slave creatures, and we should all sort of like... Liberate we them. We should liberate them. 
and Hermione sort of this doesn't really go anywhere but Hermione sort of makes a fuss about this throughout the whole book and everyone's like oh Hermione mm-hmm. come on what do you come on that's going on so just put a pin put several pins in that Triwizard Tournament is the thing that's happening oh yes yes we find out about the Triwizard Tournament I skipped that part earlier sorry we they announced the true the Triwizard Tournament which is um which is great a because there's going to be no Quidditch all year so it's out of the way <laughs> we're done with Quidditch for the year thank god the Triwizard Tournament is like it's three tasks and they stopped doing it like a hundred years ago because a bunch of kids kept dying yep. but they're bringing it back but this time there's not going to be so many kids dying they hope and it's going to be Hogwarts and two other schools mm-hmm. will compete there's a magic there's a cauldron of fire you might say a goblet <laughs> and all, all students who are of age which is 17 or over right yes yep. can put their name in the, in the goblet and the goblet will pick the champion for each yes. school and then three kids will compete that's, that's, that's good, what's right? supposed to happen. Durmstrang and Bobaton are there. Durmstrang, which is the, the German one, right? It's vaguely Eastern European. Yeah, that's right. It's coded Eastern European. We're not really supposed to know where it is. And then... I mean, Bobaton. Crumb's from Bulgaria. Right. So it's up and there he goes somewhere. There. Yeah. It, so. It's cold where they are. They wear fur things. Yes. And Bobaton is... French. French? It's French. It's literally French for pretty wands. <laughs> The, the, the champion from Dermastrang, by the way, Victor Crumb, which I, well, put a pin in it, but he's the world, like, the one of the world champions of Quidditch, and he's also still in school. And now he's at Hogwarts, along with, what's her name? Fleur Delacour? Yes. Who is a... Part Vila. Who is part Vila, which means she's super hot. But only to some people, it's... Like, Ron's smitten with her and every other Vila he yeah. sees. But, like, Harry's not. Why? Why? Anyway, so those two get picked by the Goblet of Fire. Uh, the Goblet of Fire then picks Cedric Diggory, but uh-oh, what else does it do? It spits out another name, <laughs> Harry Potter. Dun-dun-dun! And depending on which version you're going by, the book of the movie, Dumbledore either calmly asks Harry, Harry, did you, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Or runs screaming across the room. <laughs> did you put your name on the goblet, Harry? Did you put your name on the goblet? Uh, Harry's like, no, man, I didn't do it. I'm freaking out. Uh, Which is basically him the whole rest of the book. Basically. Uh, I they, didn't do it. I don't know what I'm doing. And all the adults who are in charge of this whole thing are like, well, Harry's not old enough to compete, but the goblet did say so, so I guess he has to compete. Harry's a champion. He's going to compete. The first task is soon. <laughs> it's, it's soon. Question it's soon. mark. It takes place over the entire course of school year. Mm-hmm. So one's in November, one's in February, and one's in June. I feel like a sporting event would really lose momentum across the entire nine months, but you would what think. do I know? Um, Not with the promise of death. <laughs> Ron gets mad at Harry because he thinks he did it on purpose for the glory or whatever, and Ron never gets any glory, so he's upset. They're in a fight. Uh, Hermione's kind of the go-between between them. That's the kid drama for a that. Lot, a lot of people are mad at Harry because they think he snuck his name in. Yeah. Uh, Usurping Cedric Diggory's glory. Sirius gets in touch with Harry, warns him like, hey, I think someone may have done this on purpose to try to get at you. Look out for that Karkaroff. Watch out, watch out for Karkaroff. He's used to be a death eater. Mm. Oh, Rita Skeeter shows up. Fuck that bitch. We sort of don't need to check in on her too much, but she's a reporter with the Daily Prophet who throughout the entire book writes a bunch of 
fake news about Harry Potter, essentially. And, and um, Harry usually doesn't care, but Hermione gets really upset about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the end, uh, traps her in a glass prison for all summer. <laughs> so the first task it is dragons. <laughs> um, Harry and, and the other champions have to get past some dragons. Hagrid tells Harry what it is. He shows him the dragons under the invisibility cloak. So, because everyone's cheating, because cheating is apparently like a, a big... Time-honored tradition. In that Trizer tournament, and Harry realizes that everybody knows what they are except Cedric, so he tells Cedric that it's dragons, so he can prepare as much as Harry can and everyone else can. Harry gets the biggest, meanest dragon, (laughs) and he... (laughs) Per usual, for poor (laughs) Harry. And he summons his broom to him to outsmart the dragon with flight. Accio broom. Accio? Accio. Accio. And he has to get this golden egg. Yeah. Which contains a clue for the second task. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. The clue for the second task is he in, does in, it, in he the first clue. task. He does really well. Crumb didn't think to fly, even though he's apparently, like, the best seeker ever. Uh, Ron sees Harry win and is like, hey, I, you, no one would willingly put their names in for this crazy murder tournament they put us through. We're cool again. <laughs> so they're cool again, so that's over. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's, there's the winter ball. Yes, the Yule ball. 1780. <laughs> a winter's ball. And the um, and Hermione Granger is the envy of all. Because she straightens her hair and fixes her teeth. So, little girls, you too can be beautiful if you uh, just change everything. If you magic your teeth away. That's not exactly what happens, but it's sort of what happens. It is. Um, I just want to just take a pause say I love the whole Yule Ball thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing really too important comes of it except that we get Ron and Hermione sort of bickering about it where Ron clearly wanted to go with Hermione but he just sort of dicks around to the last minute and so she goes with someone else Victor Crumb Mm -hmm. and he's super jealous and she's like well then you should have asked me to go and everyone's like and Ron's like what I I didn't want to do that Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just eating this up I love this because these these fools are starting to act like teenagers and that's great it's just like the point when they realize that girls were real (laughs) Um, Harry's still crushing on Cho, but Cho's going to the ball with Cedric, which, you know, that's still going on. We find out Hagrid's half-giant, which, like... I think was mostly assumed at this point, You right? know, not surprising. He tells it to the um, the, the headmistress of Beaubaton, right? Who is clearly also clearly half-giant. Clearly half-giant. She's like, how dare you imply I'm that I'm half-giant. I'm big-boned. <laughs> I'm just really, really tall. Um... Cedric, gives, Cedric repays Harry by giving him a tip about how to unlock this egg. He says to take a bath with it. Um, let's him use the awesome prefect's bathroom, though. And who shows up there? Mona Myrtle, trying to see that dick. <laughs> he figures it out. They're gonna. He's going to have to figure out how to breathe underwater for an hour. Uh, he tries to, does not figure it out. Nope. Morning of the task, Dobby shows up, says, Mr. Potter, drink, eat this real quick. And Harry's like, what? Oh my gosh, I gotta go, bye. He eats the magic weed. Gillyweed? Gillyweed. Gillyweed. The magic weed. The magic weed. I mean, come on, these kids. <laughs> All this magic going on. I think J.K. Rowling was smoking some magic weed. Anyway. He grows um, gills. He grows gills. The second task is that a bunch of students have been kidnapped, and their like, friends or family members have to rescue them from the bottom of the lake, where they're guarded by people. No wonder kids died during this thing. This is... Well, it's anyway, messed up. It's messed up. Harry, uh, you know, gets to Ron, who's been his, his kidnapped victim, which is very cute. Because <laughs> they, they steal the person that would be missed most by the, the 
the champion. Because yeah, he, he he saves Rom. He's like, oh no, what the other champions screw up? Because right? he he really feels like these, these like they're gonna drown down here, mm-hmm. uh, because he has no reason not to believe that. Mm-hmm. So he ends up he saves three three of them. Did he, did he, did he save all of them? No, he like he saves... Cedric and Victor show up. Okay. And get um, Cho and and Hermione, but he saves uh, Fleur's sister, Gabriella. Because he thinks she's actually gonna die. And so everyone's like, "Why did you waste so much time, Harry? They weren't really gonna kill us." And he's like, "Well, you were. I thought you were gonna die. Like, come on, come man. On, come on, man. Well, I don't know what's going on." <laughs> but he gets high marks for being like a cool, brave guy, which is like good. Like, yeah, Harry's actually pretty in pretty good form. This book. Yeah. Sometimes he's, he's kind of bumbling his way through stuff, but then this book, he's like, he's he's making the best of a bad situation. You no, know, one thing he's I, doing okay. I do really appreciate about this book is that we see Harry like preparing and learning things he learns so much magic in which, this book which like actually sets up really well for the next book <laughs> when he has to teach a lot of yeah. magic <laughs> um there's some stuff in between the second and third task we find out some stuff about barty crouch he's been weird. missing he's been mi- well he's not been he's, we don't know he's just he's not missing. been showing up to the, to the he's been at home and percy's been, been like Ill. oh mr crouch is very ill and i am taking care of him i'm answering all his mail so don't go ask him about mr crouch um, but Harry sees him Poor on the map. Uh, we find out that Barty Crouch's son was a Death Eater. Sorry, Harry doesn't sneak into Dumbledore's office, but he goes in there, sees a like a weird like I always picture like a like a bird bath, like a stone bird bath, yeah, with a mm-hmm. bunch of weird gray shit floating around in it. That's so what does he accurate. do? He sticks his whole face into it. You know, and casual. He falls into a memory palace <laughs> where, where we where we get a picture of like we get a view of. A scene of like a bunch of Death Eaters being convicted for their crimes, including mm-hmm. Barty Crouch Jr., who was like, seems like maybe he just sort of got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Yeah, because he's like 17 or something. He's but, really young. But Barty Crouch Sr. is like, I can't show leniency to anyone, not even my own son. You're going to Azkaban, and you're going to Azkaban, and you're going to Azkaban. Everybody's, Everybody's going, going to Azkaban! Oh, it's sad. Duh. No. <laughs> um, so we, and, and then Dumbledore shows up and is like, oh, Harry, did you enjoy my magical memory machine? Saw some crazy stuff, right? Well, see you later. You know. Yeah, thanks, thanks, buddy. Thanks for the help. Um, Harry collapses in divination, and his scar hurts, and he has a vision of Voldemort. And um, Wormtail. Wormtail. And Dumbledore, he tells Dumbledore that, and Dumbledore's like, ooh, I think, I think Voldemort might be getting stronger. Ooh. Ooh. Like, that's not good. Oh, there's, there's, a, there's a moment where, like, where, um, not only does, does, that's basically it, right? And yeah. then the third task kicks off. Third task kicks right off. It's third, a maze! Yeah, task one, fight a, dra- fight a dragon, basically. Task two, fight the people. And also, you know, general human <laughs> condition. Task three, <laughs> it's the end of The Shining, but less scary. Just a maze. I mean, there's some creepy, there's like some creepy stuff. There's a like big spider in there, right? Yeah. There's some stuff in there, but it's like... Some weird creatures Hagrid's created like or this, living in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is this all, this This is number three, really? This is the climax, but whatever. Uh, basically, in the end, Harry and Cedric get to the, the, the thing at the same time. And they're both like, you go, you go, you deserve it. And everyone's like, no, you go, you deserve it. No, you go. It lasts no, way go. too long. The no, conversation lasts way too long. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Then they're like, together. And it's like, yes, together. And it's like, ooh. Shouldn't have done that. Done the that. cup was a portkey. It was a magical portkey all along. Oh, no. They end up in a graveyard in Little Hangleton. In a spooky graveyard. And Cedric is immediately killed. 
Oh, Cedric. Um, anyway, anyway, killed by Wormtail. who else? Wormtail. Uh, Wormtail's in the graveyard. He's got a big old bundle of joy. Or does he? He's carrying like little baby Voldemort around <laughs> and, and literally wrapped Fetus like a form baby. It's Voldemort. He's super gross. I just picture the Greendale human being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. In, in the movie, it's literally like a tiny baby Voldemort. In the book, it is like a scaly, gross fetus. Like yeah. it's much yeah. more upsetting in the book. Yeah. And Harry... he has red eyes also in the book, which I forgot yeah. about, yeah. which is like also very disturbing for this gray, scaly, gross baby. Yeah. Anyway, Harry's part of a ritual. <laughs> Where they take his blood, uh, Wormtail cuts off his own hand, which is super messed up. Flesh of the servant. Willingly given. Bone it, of the father. And like Forcibly taken. And <laughs> Wormtail like raids Voldemort's dad's coffin. It's weird. And uh, he mixes it all in a big stew with the Voldemort baby. And guess what? Voldemort's back. I mean, he's still back. He's been back for a while but now. But he's restored he never really to his left. body. Now he's got a cool, slick body. He summons his Death Eaters to him, and some, some, of, of, them some of them show up. <laughs> some of them do not. We get some very carefully worded uh, hints about who the other ones might be. That's sort of hard to parse. Yeah. Uh, Lucius Malfoy's there because he's the worst dude ever. Harry goes to school with Draco like for another year after this. Two. Well, two more. Two more years. <laughs> he still has to know him for like the rest of his life. And he's like, oh hey. Uh, their kids are friends. Their kids. Are- <laughs> Don't forget, that's canon. <laughs> His kids are friends. Their kids are friends. Uh, Again, for another day. <laughs> and then Voldemort gives a big speech about how, like, I was gone, but now I'm back, and I'm going to do a bunch of evil shit, and no one can stop me. Not even Harry Potter, because I'm going to kill him. And Harry's like, no, you're not. But, like, Voldemort is a stupid villain and he's like i'm not gonna kill him i'm gonna give him his wand back and we're gonna and we're duel. going to do i'm gonna defeat him and it's duel. gonna be a whole thing and show harry, that he's actually more powerful than harry potter in the end yes and harry does his one move <laughs> well he runs away for a while he has, his one move. <laughs> he has two move. two <laughs> signature moves <laughs> Run one away. is to run away <laughs> and hide behind a gravestone. And one is to yeet everyone's wands out of their hands. Yep. Well, it's kind of cool because Harry's like super scared. But he's like, no, you know what? I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna just stand here and die like an idiot. I'm gonna stand up and die like you know a brave person, like uh, his parents, like my dad. Uh, then Harry does his <laughs> Harry. Okay, okay. Harry does his second move, which is to expelliarmus, which is basically the disarming spell. Basically because their wands are from the same phoenix tail, which we learned about in the first book. In the movie, this, this looks a little bit less dumb in my memory. In the book, their wands, their spells meet. And then it forces uh, Voldemort's wand to regurgitate old spells, basically. Which is just the killing spell. It's yeah. all he does. Basically, he just kills people. The last like several people that, that Voldemort has killed with his wand sort of fall out of the tip of his wand in a very cartoonish way mm-hmm. and like literally land on the ground and have to stand up. It's pretty <laughs> awkward and weird. weird. And it's like, like ghosts. It's like, yeah, it's ghosts. And it's Cedric there and he's like, Harry, take my body back after this is over. And then um, who else shows up? Bertha, uh, uh, Frank Bryce is there. Frank Bryce is there for And he Frank cheers uh, and Harry like, on. Oh, so he was magic. Like, <laughs> he was oh. a wizard. You should stand up to him. And Bertha Jawkins is there and she's like, oh no. This, my my story's pretty sad. I died. No one really and then, cared. And then his parents then show his up. His parents show up again. And Lily pops out and is like, Oh, Harry, I'm here. Wait for your dad to show up. And his dad pops out and is like, Harry, you, we'll distract him. You And then you can run away. 
Move number two. Move number two. Back, back to move number one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, move number one. Sorry. We're gonna move s- number two is expelling. Is expelling. We're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> back to rule one. Harry, we're going to swarm him, and then you got to run. Uh, basically. Is that off? That's what happens, right? Yeah. 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 They swarm him. Harry runs away, and Voldemort's like, no, Potter. I think they tell him that the the cup will take him back. Too. Oh, yes, yes. Because it's, it's a portkey. Yeah. Um, and Harry runs away while Voldemort shakes his fist like the like the, the bad guy from Inspector Gadget. And he grabs Cedric's body and grabs the cup. And they whoosh back. And Harry shows back up and everyone's like, oh, shit. This isn't what we wanted to happen. Mad-Eye Moody pops up and like immediately leads Harry away from the crowd and away from Dumbledore and everything. Takes him up to his office. Uh-oh, time for the reveal section of the book where we spend 100 pages explaining what just happened. Essentially, Mad-Eye Moody has not been Mad-Eye Moody. He's been Barty Crouch Jr., disguised as Mad-Eye Moody. He did the switch before the school year began. And he's been he, he's been trying to get Harry into the tournament so that Voldemort could do the thing that he did. But Voldemort obviously also wanted to kill him. Dumbledore bursts in, and they subdue fake Moody, and they give Barty Crouch Jr. the, um, the Veritas serum, and he tells him his, this whole story about his... It's, it's kind of long and confusing, honestly. I get kind of yeah. mixed up just thinking about it. Because, like, he was in Azkaban, then his mom was dying. She got Barty Crouch Sr. to do a switch between her and, and Barty Crouch Jr. They took mm-hmm. Polly just potion And she had enough other. potion in the prison to do it until she died. Uh, we sort of we go through this whole thing about how he escaped and, like, he's kept he was kept under lock and key by his dad. For with, with... years, it sounds like? He was imperious cursed by okay. his own father. But he, like got more and more immune immune to it and then eventually he turned it on his dad and imperious cursed him and bertha jawkins like came to the house one day basically yeah and was like oh Which was no. a terrible mistake on her part yeah, sorry bertha and she basically heard winky talking to barty crouch jr and she was like, what is going on here? And then they memory charmed her so bad, her brain was damaged. And then they killed her anyway, so. Basically, basically they it. explain all of that to other people. Harry goes to the hospital wing. <laughs> I think the important part of the end of this book is that we get Dumbledore, the Weasleys, Harry and Hermione, Sirius and Snape and McGonagall. I think that's everybody in that yeah. room. Dumbledore being like, okay. This is what we're going to do. And he says some cryptic things. And then cue three years till the next book. So everyone in the fandom is like, what does he mean? Who does he mean? What is it going to be? Um, we find out that um, Cornelius Fudge, who up until now was my dude, just a doofy, stupid guy, is like, I don't believe Voldemort's back. I won't believe it. And Dumbledore's like, so we have come to the parting of the ways, which happens in the chapter, the parting of the ways. Cornelius Fudge is a centrist. He's a centrist. He's a he's a he's a the ultimate centrist. Uh, at the end of at the end at the end of the school feast, Dumbledore gets up in front of the the students and is like, "Hey, by the way, Voldemort's back. Uh, we're all gonna die. Good luck out there. Have a nice summer. Have a good summer." <laughs> uh, I'm paraphrasing. And Harry's sad about Cedric, but like you know, not like that sad because he didn't yeah. really know him that much. He feels kind of guilty. He feels bad, but not yeah. again, not like that guilty. Um, they they and then they take the train back to London. Hermione shows Harry, Rita Skeeter, like a, a human woman that she has trapped in a jar. Uh, Harry, uh, in the end, gives his winnings to Fred and George so they can start their joke shop. That's basically it. End of book. End of book. So let's start pulling out these pins. <laughs> Pulling out the pins. Who, where do we want to start, everyone? There's a lot to get into here. 
I want to start with, because I've, I've kind of said that I don't really like this book, right? Right. And upon reading, I've kind of realized why I don't like this book. And I think the story structure of this book is all centered around this Triwizard Tournament, which is like a device, but a device that doesn't really work and it just kind of makes everything that happens seem really contrived and forced and so unlike in the other books where you get these like sort of nuggets and things that all come together it feels like she's working really hard to bring everything together where it doesn't feel like that in the the previous three books and i think that's part of the reason i don't like it that's fair it does feel like at the end she's like using one like three chapters to sum up like 500 pages of like this is really what all happened yeah. <laughs> i i it made me look more favorably upon the climax of book three because i mentioned yeah. last time that i didn't i thought that was a little bit clunky uh but this really puts that to shame it's like <laughs> oh boy works expl- like it really feels like she was just like like nothing was explained until this point so it all has to be explained at once because it's got to be a big yeah. twist because we need a twist even though I mean, a kid just died, All and the- Voldemort's back, so I don't know if we really, really need this whole, like, oh, a little guy turned himself into Mad-Eye Moody, so, uh, ah, surprise. All I'm thinking of is, like, the ending of Clue with, like, Tim Curry running around like a psycho <laughs> for five minutes to be like, this is what happened over an hour and a half. Oh, and, like, that's kind that of what great, J.K. Rowling was doing. And was like, oh, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this is what all of this meant. The goblins and were now red we're herring. <laughs> I'll, it, it, never really, it never really feels earned that Harry's in the tournament. It's very, I mean, it's purposely, it is contrived by a character in the book. But it really, it, it's, it's really stretching the limits of, like, believability to say, like, that these people are okay with Harry being in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Also, I think... A problem for me is that this book is the first one since the the first book to open with a chapter not from Harry's point of view. And while I do like that chapter and what we sort of get to get about the world outside of Harry's world with that chapter, the jump from that like very kind of like dark and eerie and spooky and sad chapter back into normal Harry's point of view from the, that point on is really awkward. And maybe that's just me, but it took me a while to really get into the book after that. Well, it's like it's like 50 years, and then it sort of blends into a dream that Harry's <laughs> having. Because in the end, he dreams about how Frank gets killed. Yeah. And then that's what he wakes up, and he's like, oh, that was a weird dream. Yeah. Wormtail was there, and Voldemort. Really that's that, weird. I don't that problem as much. Yeah. It's, um, I feel like, I, I, I actually really like the, the chapters where it doesn't start with him. My favorite one is the sixth book. Yeah, I don't have that problem necessarily, but I think I think this book takes a long time to get into regardless because of how much... Um, There's so much exposition. And, like, it, it so almost never free. stops. <laughs> well, there's just so many things that then, at the end, you're like, oh, that all made sense. Why all this crap had to happen. But yeah, it's because, like, we have to have the Quidditch World Cup to basically set up Victor Crumb and the fact that... And in the end, Barney Crouch Jr. Yeah, and and the the the, the but that's two things that we take two hundred well, pages. Well, for. Barney. Well, no, but Barney being there because yeah. that's not clear until way yeah. later, and then the Death Eaters. Yeah, which are problematic, and um, um, Victor Crumb existing, I guess, was important to tell people. We have to see him <laughs> lose the Quidditch World Cup before we meet him as a seventeen-year-old student from another school. I guess. I guess. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess so, that, that that really sets up the whole like Ron Hermione but the, the, dynamic. Hermione's yeah. date could have been anybody, though. It didn't have to be a world famous Quidditch player. Yeah, I guess it's just we're supposed to see Ron shift from 
like hero worshiping this person to not being into it. Also, well, can we talk about the fact that Hermione is 14 <laughs> and Victor Crumb is almost 18? Well, but I also think it's a transition for like those boys to think about her in a different yeah, way. no, I, 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 I don't mind it as a device. I just and for them to like and like for some other person to be like, oh, she's a like a person, like a yeah. like not just like oh, she's our best friend. Mm-hmm. She just happens to be a girl. Like yeah. the idea that somebody else would want to spend their time with her seems shocking to Ron because <laughs> he's just like, oh, well, we've just decided since book one that you could just hang around with us because you make sure we don't die. So that's helpful. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, like it's his transition of like deciding he has actual like sort of feelings about her. I just feel like the book doesn't move, and and we're talking about in the, in some of the previous book how she just sort of like sprinkles in these things about other parts of the of the magical world and how it feels really natural and not forced. I feel like she's still trying to do that, but it feels unnatural. You know, there's like a lot that could have been cut, <laughs> but that said, plot wise, I think. Really, this is the, the center book. Like, it's the middle. It very much feels like a middle. It very much feels like a transitional place. Well, it's moving from... I think the first three books are really not meant to be for, like, children. But because Harry and them are so young, they're, yeah. like, 11 and 12 and 13. And this is them moving, moving into from, being, like, 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 from young... Middle like, grade Middle to grade to, like... Young adult. Young adult and facing real challenges, you know, like dragons. And death. And death. <laughs> but, like, having to deal with real life yeah. kind of stuff. Um, I agree she could have cut that back a bit, but... I want to note that this is the book where, when I was reading these books originally as a young person, this is where I stole it out. And reading through it again this time, I thought, well, I'll have more patience and I'll understand, you know, where it's going a little bit better and I'll be a better. No. I still <laughs> almost quit when that fucking hat starts his stupid song. <laughs> I saw there was two full pages. I was like, oh, I get it. This is why I stopped. Because we spent 200 pages on Quidditch to get to hear this hat's stupid song. I'm not about it. And there's, there's 500 pages left? Are you kidding me? How many songs are going to be in this one? How many songs? It just takes a really long time yeah. to get moving. I feel like there's like too many themes almost that J.K. <laughs> well, Rowling's like trying to touch on. There's like this idea of like social justice and... SPW and like how the wizarding world is like has some fucked up systemic shit going on but then there's also like her trying to establish the wizarding world is bigger than England and there's international wizards and there's other we have the Quidditch World Cup and and the Triwizard Tournament and all this stuff and then like also the plot which is like you know Voldemort's coming back and I think she's just maybe trying to do too much. Well then there's all these side plots like yeah everything going on with Fred and George and Ludo Bagman, which you're just like, oh, that's a bunch of weird extra stuff. That's a whole like sub extra running mystery throughout the book. That when you get to the end of it is like, oh, they just he owes them money. Yeah. That's all it was. We didn't need another mystery on top of all these other mysteries, JK. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, Fred um, and George being weird, but I, w- I wanna just get on the record. I did like parts of this book a lot. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed everything leading up to the different tasks. Once the tasks began I find myself often kind of like losing focus a little bit because they're just sort of like you know Harry's gonna win he's gonna beat that dragon duh he's not gonna die there's three more books but I do like how he sort of like <laughs> gets put under pressure because everyone mm-hmm. thinks he put his name in this thing but he didn't do it and Ron's mad at him which is like the first time we've really seen them fight that's kind of interesting shade to their dynamic and it makes sense because we, as we've talked about before Ron is very overshadowed 
as a, as a you know a young child as like mm-hmm. a, the youngest sibling and so it would make sense that he would sort of get so frustrated with yeah. this happening over and over again even if it's not really fair for him to be mad at harry but it still rings very true yeah. well it's the glory it's the money it's mm-hmm. a lot of things that come with being best friends with harry potter that Harry has no control over. Yeah. It's like he did nothing to ask, like to get those things. It's just how his life was handed to him. So, I also, as I said before, really like this book that like we see Harry like learning shit, yeah, and like using the shit that he's learned, which he doesn't do in any of the movies. <laughs> he like I was like, oh, I forgot he learned how to do all of this, <laughs> and they don't touch on like that. Can, like I forgot you can about beat that. The Cruciatus curse? No, 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 not the <laughs> no, the uh, Imperius curse. Right. Yeah, but also like. Going through the whole motions of how he learns how to, like, summon Mm -hmm. stuff. Because in the movie, they're just like, I just know how to do that. And I'm like, how did... You don't know anything. (laughs) Like, how did you learn this? And you actually had trouble with this. Yeah. And it, like, (laughs) makes him seem like a much more normal student. Yeah. Because, like, I think Harry just kind of gets a lot of, like... And I think one of the great things about Harry is that he is not painted as, like, a perfect, like, student... You know, he's like, like a mediocre student at best. He's, he's okay. Um, he's just okay, and like Hermione's the good student, and you know, he's not even like, like things like Harry is really normal. Like he's just chill. <laughs> he's a C average kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not failing. I think both he and Ron are like you know, they're passing. They feel okay about it. Yeah, it's gonna be okay. But we do see, like, in this book, it does, she does do a good job setting up for the fact in the next book, Harry is going to be, like, the guy who's good at defense against the dark arts. And it's like, oh, yeah, he does actually have an aptitude for this. Like, he does, you know, he is, like, good at these sorts of jinxes and spells and stuff. Um, even though he only ever uses one <laughs> in and a duel. Spectro Patronum gets used a lot. <laughs> yeah. But not in a duel, but yeah. yeah. Okay, now we need to pull out a few pens. Okay. I mean, we've pulled out some already, but we need to pull. We need to grab a whole handful of pens. Yeah, some pens. And pull out some so hard that the whole thing might collapse. And that group of pens is all pinned around Spew. Spew. S-P-E-W. S-P-E-W. Let's lay this out. So First we, of all, Hermione, get a better acronym. It's not even a good acronym. It's, bad, it's a bad acronym. <laughs> That's maybe the least of its problems, but no. it, the acronym is not helping anything. So... Essentially what happens here is J.K. Rowling, for really, for very little reason, lays out the system of the uh, the oppression... The systemic oppression of house elves. Of house elves. And the fact that they are enslaved by the wizarding world, and they are, like, literally kept, like, in bondage. They work for no money, and they just are mistreated constantly. And, like, it's part of their magic that they're like it's enslaved? part of their whole like gig. that's what i don't get is like how did they end up enslaved <laughs> the problem for me is not that they necessarily are enslaved because it would i mean that sort of would make sense in a magical world I, I would question the wisdom of putting that in a um in this book in particular in the series i don't think we really had room for that here mm-hmm. uh but it is the fact that she really makes the very strange choice that the, all the house elves are not only are they enslaved, but they're happy that way. They want to be enslaved. Well, Hermione's entire quest to like dismantle this oppressive system, which she like very clearly like like in very like present day language actually calls out as like a, an oppressive system, is met with like bemusement and irritation by all the other characters, 
and we are I think like we're meant to I can me- never we're tell meant if to, we're supposed to find it funny or not I think we are because in the end like she does she's not successful uh, I don't want to get into the fifth book too much but it's like even more of a comedy plot point in that one yeah mm. but we're I think we're supposed to look at it as like and like oh Hermione you know you're smart but you're just you're just too involved you know you're just trying to she's supposed to be like like a naive like teenager who wants to save the whales or whatever yeah like she's yeah. like a kid who's like trying to take on like a big you know big world thing she just doesn't understand she's too sensitive and they want they want to be slaves they're happy as slaves that's bad that's a bad thing to put in your book why why would you do that <laughs> and like we i we could have had a whole th- like we already knew house elves existed that was in place and that was fine we could have had it that house elves were just owned by the most you know rich and like Terrible. Dickish of the Wizarding families because you know, the, the Malfoys have one that makes sense. They're terrible. They would have an indentured servant, sure, fine. But the fact that like the the Hogwarts is born upon the backs of slave labor, of, of enslaved creatures, and we are meant to walk away from that going, oh well, it's fine because that's what they want. That's a fucked up message to put in the books. Anything like, would have been better than this. Well, yeah, I do think like overarching slavery is a bad thing <laughs> you're yeah. your first book. no i i, I agree. <laughs> just slavery in general is bad i i like i feel like rolling is trying to do this thing where she shows that the wizarding world is like crappy too she's just doing a really bad job of it and like because there's a, there's a lot in the fifth book like trying to like talk about the like different kinds of magical races and like the the oppression of of many of those races and and different things and i just think she doesn't have the nuance in her language to actually do that because she is kind of a liberal white feminist who doesn't really explore intersectionality to the extent that she should um (laughs) and it's not really a conversation you can have in a middle grade book (laughs) i mean it should be but you have to have the right language and the right tools to do it. Do it, yeah. And I don't think she does, and and it becomes a, a comedy point, which makes it worse. Right. I think it's like one of those things where she has really good intentions, like Hermione. <laughs> like Hermione. <laughs> but it's just not. It's not playing. She doesn't have the tools to to actually do what she intended. It's bad messaging. I don't. I don't know how else. I don't know what else to say, honestly. And no one's. No one's here is fighting me on it i just i, I was so shocked to, to realize that's where she was going with it that i sort of and it's not i'm not upset about it enough to really to like stop reading the books obviously but it i i very much questioned the wisdom of even attempting to her for her to tackle this yeah i also think it's sort of meant to show like hermione sort of like taking off the rose-colored glasses of the wizarding world like like she's been amazed by this this whole place and everything she can do that she just found out about three years ago and it's so great and it's amazing and um she's discovering that oh yeah it's built on the black backs of slave labor (laughs) um and sort of like uh something for her to like sort of wrestle with but it just it isn't handled in a way that it feels like anybody's wrestling with it and that sucks but can't do anything about it now and like i appreciate in the fifth book sort of trying to tackle that a little more and and have Harry as the point of view character sort of, as a 15-year-old boy, sort of see that things are unbalanced in a way. Yeah. But it is just, in, it isn't introduced well here. 
because we're because Harry doesn't care because we're seeing it through Hermione as this like you know sort of like oh save the whales whatever type character um it isn't we're not getting Harry's like awakening about this until later and, and I don't know if he ever really does wake up about it I think if you're gonna you could definitely do a book about a, the disillusionment with the wizarding world but it would have to be a book that's not also about Voldemort's return like 17 other things yeah. yes that's true <laughs> like I said she's trying to do too much she just needed a better editor to be like maybe we cut some of this shit down it's true this is like I, this is like this is what Tara transitional said, in right? many ways this book because this is like this feels like the first book that was like done after the Harry Potter began to become a sort of the a phenomenon it, it was yeah so I think it really you really it really feels to me at least like this is the first one where her editor was like hey whatever you say lady just make us that money. Okay, so do you have any other thoughts about SPW? No, that's pretty, yeah. That's nope. pretty much it. Yeah, like Systemic I, slavery is bad. <laughs> it was Whoa, mostly what I learned slavery. from this book. Good, good for I you. I mean, yeah. I do, I do think it's interesting, though, when you talk about, like, it's meant to be this com- comedic point, but it's yeah. not, it's not it's funny, funny to anybody. <laughs> no. And you're just like... That's weird that everyone's <laughs> fine with this. And, like, I get where Ron and them are coming from because it's just something that has been part of the wizarding world forever. And they're yeah. like, yeah, these creatures exist for this purpose. But, like, I the think, idea that nobody would ever have questioned that yeah. is, like, interesting. And I think if we had gotten Harry questioning that a little bit more than he does, it might have felt a little more genuine. Right. It just seems like, oh, yeah, well... Obviously, someone has to be making all this food. Yeah. And, like, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Because he doesn't really even deal with it when it's, like, creature. Anyway, moving away from anyway, that. moving away from I want to discuss some characters that were introduced. Um, firstly, we kind of touched on this, but um, I want to talk about Mad-Eye Moody. <laughs> sort of. Um, <laughs> sort of. And how we feel about Mad-Eye Moody. Just because I think it's really interesting to be introduced to a character and then find out he's not who you thought he was. It's really, I was too, mm-hmm. I knew, again, sort of, basically that there was a switch out at some point. I, I did not realize how early it happened. Mm-hmm. And so I, I grew very attached to Mad-Eye Moody throughout this book and was very disappointed to find that it was not really Mad-Eye Moody. Because everything about this guy is, is the best. He's old. He's possibly crazy. He's missing his nose. He has a magical gross eye. He has a steampunk eye in his head. He's got a wooden foot. <laughs> That's also foot. true when it's not yeah. Barty Crouch I know. Jr. And, and, and just, I, I am, again, ahead of the, the episodes, and I do, when when Mad-Eye Moody shows up in, in book five, it makes me, I feel, I'm feel i full of joy to see him in the, in the books. I just love him. Uh, because one thing you do find out about him that is true is that he was, like, one of the toughest Aurors mm-hmm. when fight, when they were fighting the uh, the dark uh, the dark Lord. Uh, Voldemort? Why, why would I call him the Dark Lord? That's weird. I wouldn't, I wouldn't he say He who that. must not be named. Yeah, Jason. that's what I'm talking about. That why guy. Why would you call him the Dark Lord, I Jason? I didn't. You, you did. You did. You did. You did. Anyway. Um, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. We find out uh, he was, like, super tough, but he also, like, he, like, went out of his way to not kill people as much as he possibly could. So it's like he was, like, a tough... He'd rather put them in prison than kill them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was, like, a tough, but, like, fair dude, and now he's, like, sort of hobbling around Hogwarts, like, helping Harry out, he turns Draco into a ferret. It's great. And I sort of, I sort of mentally have, like, transposed basically not his exact behavior, but his entire personality from the fake Mad-Eye Moody to the real one. Yeah. My logic being that he's a, um, 
that Barty Crouch Jr. does a good impression. Yeah, basically. So I, well, I basically I count mean, this as Mad Eye Moody, essentially. Yeah. Well, and also, and I think he is. J.K. Rowling doesn't really do anything to change any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, because that's the thing that's always kind of killed me about that whole character yeah. thing, is like, in the fifth book, Harry has zero problems trusting Mad Eye Moody. Which you think that which he you would, think he'd right? be like, dude, I didn't actually know you for a year. Like, yeah. you weren't really my teacher. Some other dude was. <laughs> like, all of those things, which you should go. I have questions yeah. about you as a person. Yeah, and Harry's like, this is fine. <laughs> I am a dumb, trusting child. He is. Because, yeah, Harry's he does. a dumb, trusting child. And that's like the part that always killed me is like, I agree that Barty Crouch Jr. must have done a really great impression of him, but there have to be some parts of him that are like his own. Like, I was you know, that, like you go I back and read it. That he was slightly more like um, loquacious. The yeah. actual Moody, like he. Well, and I wonder though, some of those actions he does, like turning Malfoy into a ferret. He like also his... clearly hates Lucius Malfoy <laughs> yeah. because he's like this not this non-loyal mm-hmm. person, and like Lucius yeah. is one of those Death Eaters that immediately was like, "I wasn't me. I have nothing to do with this. This is not my life. I renounce all this nonsense." Yeah. And yeah, like he got me with that there. Uh, what do you call it? The um, Imperiatus curse. <laughs> right. So not, like, not for that. But so, like, I also think some of that is, like, being personified into, like, this fake version of Moody where he's just, like, I mean, also Draco's an asshole and deserves to be turned into a ferret at all times (laughs) possible. But I wonder how much of it is, like, Barty persona, like, pushing his own agenda forward. I think the stuff like that and the sort of, and the, the stuff we see with the Imperius curse, like, while I think that, like, I kind of agree that, that's how Moody would approach teaching those, mm-hmm. teaching about those things. Like, I don't know that he would put the Imperius curse on the kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, like, that seems like a thing or, you know, that even like, Dumbledore like, would be like, no, let's not. I don't think we should do that to fourth years. Because, like, Dumbledore, like, knew Moody. Like, Moody knows a lot of people from the school that are still there, or at least a few. Mm-hmm. Was Were none of them ever, like... Hey Moody, remember that time that we did this thing? <laughs> and Moody was like, uh, uh, yeah. Well, and we don't even we don't even get the idea that Barty Crouch Jr. like studied him. I guess he was in his house at one point, so he could have done some research like, there. Like maybe. I guess it, you know, it's not all that long, like explanation. <laughs> like you know, we don't. It kind of glosses over how long he was he had imperious Moody and how long. He was, like, working on the Polyjuice Potion to become Moody. Um, but it seems like it's, like, right before he just comes to Hogwarts. It does, yeah. It and does. you're like, so how did he have time to learn all this stuff about him? <laughs> anyway. Um, Mad and Moody. Barty Crouch Jr. does a good impression. Okay, a question for all of us to ponder upon. Bill Weasley. Is he cool? I, I, can, I can take this one. No, he's not cool. <laughs> when he shows up and, and and Harry's narration is like, there was no, like the narration that like, is in Harry's mind is like, there was no denying it. This guy was the fucking shit. And he's I got just... like a, he's got like a coat, like a ponytail, like a, a, a dragon earring. He's like the dorkiest dude in the world. I just really feel like that description should have been for Charlie. And then we should have just been like, and Bill looks like a normal person. Right, because yeah. Char- Charlie's the one who works with dragons, right? He should have a ponytail, right? Like, it's yeah. Because it, it is like, 
when, when it's like Bill's, also ponytails aren't cool Bill's so cool they were but in like, 2000 but, maybe but it's like, it is like it's like, it like a 30 year old mom's idea of what was cool in 1999 <laughs> so it's a very specific like I, I like the idea that he is cool but like <laughs> his image does not say cool to me you know Right, I have and to picture him like, differently. He was, I mean, because how much older is he? And than also, them? they cast Darmon Gleason, who's like not cool. <laughs> I love him. He's, he's adorable. adorable. I love him. I love him. But you don't look at him and say that guy's cool. Yeah. I have one more thing. Uh huh. Magical <laughs> schools. Okay. So, this is my like talking about expanding the world, and she wants to establish that you know, wizards are a thing, not just in Britain. Um, I like that. I like that I, too. I I like that we get that too. Well, especially because you could not ever believe that Hogwarts would be the only place and they only add in like 48 children a year. Well, yeah, and this <laughs> is, like, this is I have questions about the size of the wizard population. And like, it's so there's. clearly dying. One, there's one, <laughs> Based on there's math. one school in Britain. And as far as we know, there's one school in France. Like, are there lesser schools? Are there other schools in other European countries? We know now that there's at least one school in America. I hypothesize there's more schools in America because America is big. Where is the canonical one school in America? It's in like Massachusetts and like yeah. Salem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, in Salem. Okay. Yeah. So there's one on the East Coast. Yeah. There's probably one on the West Coast, too, I'd imagine. Yeah. We, we, did, we did this at the, uh, on Saturday. California Wizards. We did. It was... Probably the most annoying in the world. We did... Our hypothesis was East Coast, or like, Northeast, Northwest, Southwest, like, the desert, um, New Orleans slash Savannah. Yes, where the covens live. <laughs> Um, where the hauntings and are. And then probably like crazy like planes somewhere, like like uh, the Badlands school. Yeah. <laughs> the Peoria chapter of Hogwarts. Into it. Hogwarts, you know. Yeah. I like the idea, but the thing is like the, the, um, the, the, so the school we know about in America, Ilvermorny, is like basically just a copy of Hogwarts, right? Which makes sense. It's in New England. Whatever. Lazy. lazy. It's a little bit lazy. Let's see that Jersey wizarding school. I want that. You want I that? want the Bruce Springsteen uh, rolled up white t-shirt with the stupid packet of cigarettes stuffed up under one arm, the slick back hair. Hey, me? Uh, do, I can't think of any wizarding spells right now. You, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm running out of jokes. But like, imagine how people from New Jersey talk and I imagine yeah. they're saying spells. Just take a second for that. <laughs> I, just, I wish we had learned more about sort of like how other schools work. As far as, like, actual education, because we only know about these two schools and one is just a copy of the other. And I like the idea that there are, like, other kind of approaches to magic and magic education. Um, yeah, those were all the things I wanted to cover. I want to take one note, one moment here to note that uh, it's four books in. The fact that Draco was still a one-note, awful little weaselly, literally, weaselly little jerk is really starting to grade on me. Mm-hmm. Like, because we're transitioning from, like, middle grade, like, everyone's got one characteristic and they just follow that through forever, to slightly more complex characterization. And yet, Draco is... We have not seen one moment of him being anything but the worst kid in the world. And we won't until book six. Yeah, I was like, that's going to continue until <laughs> six. Uh, till he's forced to deal with a much more, like, difficult moral dilemma. Yeah. But you were saying in the notes that you kind of see why Draco was... People fixated on him in the the gap between. Oh yeah, because in, in the long summer uh, between this book and the fifth book, 
um, the, the three-year three three, three year gap, uh, you know, Draco became like a, a major like fixation of the fandom. So I'm led to understand, and I can see why he's sort of like, because this is what Draco is like. What fandom is made for? He's a prominent character who is giving like no shade of like any sort of nuance. Like, how could you, if you had three years to just sort of fixate on stuff, how could you not try to give Draco, like, more of a character than he gets in these books? Oh, I had one more pen I wanted to pull out. The fat shaming of the Dursleys, oh, no. particularly Dudley, is really, it was not good in the first three books. No. But in the first three books, the Dursleys are so sort of still cartoonish that it's kind of like, you can sort of ignore it if you really try. In the fourth book, Dudley is now on a diet, which, like, because he's... I guess he's gotten so overweight that his mom puts him on a diet. He can't like, fit into his school. school puts yeah, because he can't fit into the school to the uniform anymore. Because he's a bad kid, so of course he's fat. Of course, he's mean and fat. Of course, um, it's really gross um, that he's treated that way. Not anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you all know what I'm saying. Point is, like now that he's like now that we sort of like see him like change his eating habits, it really like reshades those first three books to be like, oh, this is like a real kid. Who's like being treated like shit by the author I actually, because he's yeah. Large. I I leave the books, the seventh book, feeling really really sorry for Dudley. Well, especially because Dudley should just be, in a way, like he is just based on his like, he only has his parents to go off of basically yeah. as like examples of how he's supposed to treat people, yeah. and that's not great for him because his parents are his parents, but like. I don't know. I think that both Petunia and Dudley, I think Vernon kind of stays cartoonishly ridiculous, ridiculous the whole series. But I think Petunia and, and Dudley like have just like a shade. I mean, Petunia definitely, but have like a shade of something else to them that like should have been explored more. Well, just the idea that like she had zero like feelings about this child and her sister being dead and yeah, like, I mean, also apparently her whole her whole family is apparently dead. Yeah, that's the other thing. Which I can't wrap my head around, which we sort of talked about recently. Yeah. Because like in reality, Lily and James are like twenty 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 one when they die. Mm -hmm. Their parents shouldn't both have died natural deaths at this point. I don't understand why everyone is dead. What if I told you that the death of Lily's parents was not natural? That it was no accident. That indeed they were murdered. <laughs> but yeah, and I think we also never really, like, when in the first book, when, you know, Harry is put on Petunia's doorstep, Petunia still thinks her sister is alive, right? Like, <laughs> no, we thought... don't ever see her process, because it's literally the day yeah. after she dies. Like, oh, right. day goes by. Well, yeah, because they're all rejoicing, yeah. So what presumably, to Harry in between presum- he's with Hagrid. She's in the sky, the I guess, day? in a basket. <laughs> <laughs> it took a really long time to fly there. <laughs> but yeah, so like, Petunia still thinks she's alive, right? And like, we don't ever see her get the news of her sister dying. I think it's in that little note that <laughs> Dumbledore leaves her. <laughs> like, like, hey, your family is dead. Dumbledore, Here's a baby to deal with. You could at least like knock on the door and be like, hey. Oh, I haven't the time. I'm much too busy being inscrutable. <laughs> well, but, and then, I guess, because they talk about this in the book, which I forgot, is that, like, Dumbledore puts, like, protections over Harry at the Dursleys, which is why he always has to go back. No, that's not why he has to go back. I thought that was part of the reason he had to go back. No, it's because Petunia is 
Lily's sister. Because yeah. weird. That's the protection. Because of the blood, blood magic. magic. Oh, <laughs> a super creepy term, by the way. Sorry. Um, yeah, I hit on I hit on all the things I wanted to hit yeah. on. You I hit everything I wanted to say. Um, Kay, do you have any other thoughts you wanted to get out? No. No, I I I don't like it. But <laughs> it lives. Money and crumb forever. <laughs> really? Yep, I'm into it. Really? <laughs> you were gonna say no <laughs> it wasn't you were going to thank us for having you on the podcast yes i was you? thank you but too late we we're gonna thank you for oh, coming on the podcast thanks. but you beat us to it do you have anything you want to plug <laughs> no <laughs> cool we'll do the end now then all right special thanks to danny and Bowd <laughs> and the weaving willards for the use of our theme song outside in the rain which you can find on Bandcamp. special thanks to Carly Sussman for our logo design. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. You did it. Switch it up there. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Do a switch up on, on your own life and switch up from not rating and reviewing us to doing that. Definitely do that. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Find me at my website, jasonedwards.com.com. It's a very good post on it today. I'd be, I'm blogging. About the chain smokers. I'm blogging about the chain smokers. Like, uh, basically, and the fact that someone stole a mattress once a week, they stole a mattress. <laughs> we need to America. We need to revisit this. I don't, I don't think we ever reprocessed this as a nation that a mattress was stolen in that song. <laughs> and uh, a mattress. What in what circumstance? Anyway, uh, visit my blog to find out more. JasonOwens.com.com. Um, and now. And now we say our normal goodbye. The 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 sort of closing of the show that we always do. And Katie, as an avid listener, you will know our standard closing, so feel free to join in with us on our final moment of the show. Mischief managed. Harry Potter is a book that most of us all have read, except for Jason. It. Bill was cool. He wore a gray fedora, a Rick and Morty t-shirt, oh, God. a swatch, oh man, All right. a pair of Jinko jeans. Ooh. You have to stop. K-Swiss <laughs> shoes. Please stop. What a garbage person. That's my headcanon now of how Bill Weasley dresses. <laughs> One. And a soul patch. Oh God. Okay, we're done. We're done with that. <laughs>